Zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours. Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I talk to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs they've done to get by. Today I'm joined by comedian, antenatal teacher, voiceover artist, fitness instructor and writer, Polly Nair. I think that's all of them. Yeah, <laughs> quite the list. <laughs> it's a bit stupid, but yes, yeah, that's the way it is these days. Yeah, it's not stupid. It's, uh, you know, as we were saying before, you said jack of all trades, which is meant to be a, a positive uh, that we yeah. have managed to make a negative saying. But it is yeah, good to have is, many. And you've taught me that, that jack of all trades, <laughs> master of none, is, means that being a jack of all trades is a better thing to be. I, it's a weird one because um, it's terribly sensible to have loads and loads of different things. Especially, yeah. Well, yeah, especially when you're doing something like comedy. And I've always been very sensible and had lots of, you know, lots of other stuff going on. And, you know, just like you're supposed to. And then all of a sudden lockdown happened. Everything stopped. All of the different industries that I work in stopped, apart from antenatal teaching, which became 18 hours a day of trying to take it all online, which was, I mean, fantastic because I had the time to do it. At least, thank God, there was something coming in. Yeah. uh, Because there was nothing else coming into the family home. Yeah. So it was yeah at least that bit saved me but um yeah there weren't many voiceovers and there, there hasn't been much else going on and there was the gyms were all shut and comedy clubs were all shut so yeah. it's it's incredible isn't it just how quickly everything I think I, I, I might have said this on here before but Rachel Fairburn did a really <laughs> good thing where she was saying like um you know it, her emails when the announcement came out that like you know the, was it 16th of March last year yeah. the emails it was like on take me out when a minga comes down on the lift and all of the <laughs> everyone turns the light I was just like, bip, 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 bip. Was like <laughs> everything's no cancelled gone yes I was um I was driving to Royal Wooden Bassett when Boris Johnson made the announcement I think it was like a Monday night and everything was going to stop on the Wednesday yeah and it came on at five o'clock and I was at services in Reading and I pulled into the services because he just made this announcement at five o'clock I just sat there in the car going do I keep driving will the gig be cancelled do I keep driving or do I turn around and go home shall I call them and then I remember (laughs) it was paid and there was also a free meal Oh. it's five o'clock I've already been on the road an hour and a half <laughs> I kind of want my pub meal yeah so I'll keep going and get sent back god knows why and then I went and it was um and it was a bloody lovely burger yeah. and, then, and the show the promoter went on stage and said you know we've got we've got sort of half the people have turned up so we're going to do it anyway and yeah. it was the most beautiful room and she cried she introduced it, was introducing it, and it was like it felt like prohibition. Yeah, it felt like the naughtiest thing in the world to be here, even though we were allowed to tonight. Yeah, and then the poor MC had to come on after that and sort of bring the room alight after she'd cried, which but it was fair enough. Yeah, and he was brilliant. I opened and I just loved, I was so happy. I don't think I've ever been more in the moment on stage because it yeah. was just so special yeah I'm just I'm just I'm like I'm going to drink in every second of this yeah um, and I loved it and I absolutely loved it and then drove home full of full of burger thinking well that might be a last one for a while and so it was 
Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Because I think my last one was Friday the 13th. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was in Cambridge. And it was like, uh, I got a text saying that I'd lost all of my shifts for the weekend at the cafe I was working at. You know, like, it was like, (laughs) we'll be going up in 10 minutes. (laughs) And she looked at my phone. It was like, you've got no work. And you're like, oh, fuck, this is real, isn't it? And then just going out and being like, well, I'll just have a nice time. And it was lovely. And then that was it for for so long. But Mm. I feel glad that we knew what was happening. Yeah. you could enjoy it a bit more right yeah and it has been starting so if Friday was the 13th then the Thursday would have been my night so I had my own night and that was weird and there were and it was fine and there were plenty of people there but there was there was somebody who said beforehand we're a bit worried can we sit can we sit I tried to move them to sit at the front and they said well one of us is really really nervous about this virus yeah so I I gave her all the reassurances that she wasn't you know by sitting at the front she wasn't going to be in more danger and explained everything and I remember thinking she's you know oh she's very nervous yeah and then yeah like a week later you don't want to don't want to be anywhere near anyone yeah Um, yeah I had a lovely joke I came running up to the stage because you know we were all shaking hands by butting each other's elbows so yeah. I went running up to the stage and as I ran up I was doing that to, to all the audience except her yeah and, their elbows. and then when I got on stage I went oh that's the elbow I've been sneezing into all day or I've been coughing <laughs> into all day or something which I thought was hilarious I mean it was quite funny it was yeah topical, but, and then thought that joke will last me ages like no that joke will not be funny and a hundred and thirty thousand deaths later oh wait it was something to worry about <laughs> yeah yeah it was weird no, i literally it? don't know if that woman survived the last year i'm sure she yeah. did she was a young woman with just literally she was right to be frightened and i wasn't i was in denial but at that time yeah and then i've been one of the more cautious people i know i've been really cautious yeah which I mean that's it isn't it if you're lucky enough that you've got you know no underlying conditions you're probably fine uh you know yeah if you have a husband in his 50s and that was quite a that's quite you know men in their 50s were quite high risk just for the sake of that and that was like that's too that's too scary yeah my mum was shielding um and it was yeah so it was we were quite and we're quite institutionalized even now so I started working in a shop that's another job (laughs) after Christmas and yeah. it was like ooh, quite nervous because there'll be people yeah um, and, oh I loved it my first four-hour shift in I've never worked in a shop before yeah um, and it was I was so happy to see people I was just yeah. so happy to see customers and be yeah serve people and how yeah. long had you been you know away from people at that point I had I'd done um probably since about October I'd done so in between the lot well, I was playing tennis in between the lockdowns yeah um when you were allowed to I did a gig I did two gigs in Brighton because the Brighton fringe got pushed to October which was fine because it'll yeah. never happen and then it happened and I had to go <laughs> yeah oh, no. <laughs> I know did that that was weird and then um but I hadn't really no I hadn't I don't know I don't even remember particularly but that's that's my sort of memory of doing something anything 
Yeah. And you weren't sitting in people's gardens then. We would play tennis, but it was outside and you didn't get particularly close to people. Yeah. So, yeah, going back into the shop, we didn't see anybody at Christmas and New Year and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then going to the shop, it, it was it was proper, it was proper exciting. I was quite nervous to, to do that. something that would be the least nerve wracking thing, if you like, going to a shop. Yeah. Um, although, of course, it was my first day in a new job as well. But I, yeah. and I just loved it. I loved the work. I absolutely. And I, I'm so happy in that job. Yeah. To go in and, and serve people. And I drive for them as well um and deliver food to people's homes and people are so happy to see you it's just it's such a simple pleasure and it's such a a very um um stressful job yeah the least stressful working environment I've had since probably I was a student wow Um, yeah because it's because it's a job that you're just there in the moment you don't have to you don't have any responsibility they're paying you just for your time yeah but whereas I'm completely properly freelance normally. So the more work I do, the more I get paid or whatever, if I can yeah. get the work. Whereas the shop is just, especially the delivery driving, it's just I'm pootling around in my little van doing 20 miles an hour, completely unstressed, listening to podcasts, yeah, delivering food to people. It's the purest, simplest joy, um, which is a it's... strange way to look at a, uh, a not very well-paid job, but... Well, I mean, I I always think it's um, you know that that is the ideal job, isn't it? One that you don't have to take home with you, one that you enjoy, one that doesn't take too much of you. Um, yeah, except that's not my mentality for work at all. <laughs> no, what's your mentality? Because well, because since I well, so I'm fifty four and I graduated at twenty one and went straight into a job that I really wanted, into a career I really wanted. That's great. that I didn't know actually existed and I thought I was going to have to make up for myself so I yeah. just fell into this perfect job and then after three years of that I left because I got my next dream job which was something completely different <laughs> which was um I became a continuity announcer at the BBC <laughs> which was a really nice. really strange job to get from nowhere but yeah I was trying to be a blue peter presenter basically um, and, and I got quite close to being a Blue Peter presenter and they said go and get live tv experience of any kind right and I managed to get a traineeship I make it sound as though you just walked into it you know I had been doing hospital radio and things for a very long time but yeah. um so I got this traineeship at the BBC and then that was a job I just would kill for and it was wonderful I loved it yeah and then I did continuity at ITV and Channel 5 and and so I did so I've always really loved my job and then when I did it at Channel 5, it was the best place to work. It was when Channel 5 launched, 1997. And um, and we were allowed to be as irreverent as we wanted. Yeah. So it went from, you know, in half an hour on ITV, this. But first this, just say what you're going to say and get off, to you can be funny, you can fill the whole end credits with with jokes. And we did double headers where, we, you know, two of us would sit and do it together and, just bounce off each other we had um uh viewers would would write in we'd get viewer letters we'd have oh, it was just the best thing and we had very very bad soap operas in yes. america that we <laughs> could play with and it was just it was very cult and it was the most wonderful job and so i loved that yeah and then i sort of did 
bits of freelance continuity and then I did voiceovers and everything. I've always loved all the things I've done. And then I took up, I was um, going to the gym a lot. Uh, and then sometimes the instructor wouldn't turn up. So I trained to be an instructor and that was another thing. Um, and now, of course, looking back, it's that's another opportunity to be the one at the front. Showing yeah. Off. Uh-huh. Yeah. It took me a to be like what I really wanted to do. And and so I've always so I've always done other since especially since I've been freelance, um, I've always done lots of things. I just if something interests me, I might make it into a job in some way. Yeah. So I write quizzes and present quizzes because I quite like doing that kind of thing. And actually you can get paid for doing that. And um so I and bits of writing, <coughs> excuse me. I would do writing from home for continuity and then send it into the channel and never even have to go in yeah. um, years ago. And so I've always done jobs I love. Since, since being a student and doing shitty jobs when I was a student, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been really lucky and done things that I love or like. Yeah. And I also like things because they're my job, if you like. Yeah. So I'm doing some writing at the moment in a in a world that is not my world at all doing social media for for shops right and and doing social media audits for businesses looking at their looking at their work on social media and and auditing it and saying you could do this you could do that and I'm not particularly interested in those businesses at all but I really like doing it because it's work yeah sort of I don't know if that's just the way I was brought up or something but I really like getting paid for doing something and when you're freelance you get you get specifically paid for doing something you don't get paid for spending four hours on it you get paid for doing the job yeah Uh, so and I'd like money (laughs) and I I really like the idea that you know if I do 10 of these then I'll get this much money so I'll do 10 of them and if I can do 20 of them, I'll get double that money. So I'll try and do 20 of them. And um, yeah, it's a weird one. So and we were we were really, really desperate for money by the end of last year because um, yeah. we had a mortgage and you could take a six month mortgage holiday with COVID and then it all just stopped. Yeah. And so we were okay because we didn't have to pay our mortgage. But then when that stopped, it was like, shit, that's a lot of money every month that and my husband didn't work for 15 months and it was really horrible and tough and he'd just gone freelance so he had no it didn't get any of the grants or anything yeah and so we took the jobs in the shop so he drives them I drive for them and then I sort of liked it because it's you know it's um it's quite nice pootling around in my van and it's quite nice seeing people who are happy to see you and then you've got their frozen food (laughs) so I think I've got that mentality of I like it because it's and I love comedy even more now that it's paid yeah I really love being paid you know it's it's there's a massive difference between being paid for it and not being paid for it absolutely yeah small amount and if you get paid a good amount for a gig it just it's yeah so it's 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 another layer on top of the on top of the joy of comedy and making people laugh is being valued for yeah it. absolutely and that's a, I know that's a very privileged thing because I don't have to rely on comedy for my living um and even before the pandemic I didn't want to yeah like I, I would have I wouldn't have chosen to give everything else up and be a 200 pound a night comedian 
several nights a week I actually like the variety of one night a week I'm going out teaching people about their babies another night I'm going out making people laugh you know during the day I might go to the gym and get paid to teach class I love all of that I'm a really positive yeah. person, aren't I? Yeah, I, I mean, that's <laughs> that's a great way um, to, to be, though, and to view things as, um, you know, I don't know, choosing to be happy in something, I suppose. So is it like, would you go into a job and, you know, if it was something that you really hated, would it be like, well, I'll try and find the, the good things? Or is it a less conscious uh sort of state of mind where you just are like well this is it so I better enjoy it or neither <laughs> I think yeah no I think it probably is I better enjoy I think I, I don't think I let myself go I think I do it subconsciously yeah I, and I think because I was brought up to I was brought up in a world where you got a, where you had a career yeah I was brought up to go and have a career um, and I assumed that I assumed I wouldn't get married, but I assumed that if I did get married, it would be to an accountant or somebody who worked at a bank or it's very steady and normal. Yeah. And and so not having ever done that since my first since that very first job that I did for three years, which I, I did absolutely love. I haven't had a career. I haven't had a job that you then do better at and then you become the manager of and then you do better at and set up your whatever it is that the way I was brought up this really middle class you keep aspiring to be better in this one so you don't have to like the job you just have to be successful yeah and I've been able to reject that so beautifully without ever without ever earning my mum's disapproval as long as I was earning a living she didn't mind that's good yeah which is really nice and I also I mean, I think she would much rather I hadn't married somebody in the creative industry as well. I think she very much happier if I married somebody from a bank. Um, but fortunately, she really loved him. Um, that's lucky. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, he proved himself. And we've never had any money, and that's all right. It's not, that's not fair. It's not we've never had any money. It's always we've just got by, and we haven't had those same values of becoming financially successful. Yeah. Um, and so it, so I, the whole thing feels still, even now, like it, it's all a bit of fun and to get paid for, to get paid for it. So it, even though, so like in the shop, it's a zero hours contract. Mm-hmm. And at one point they said, do you want a regular shift once a week? And it was, and it was really, really hard because I've got such a freelance mentality of you take everything, you take everything that you're offered. And this is the least I get paid for anything I do. And now my work is starting to come back. I've got more writing work. I've, I've, comedy's coming back. I don't have time to spend a single shift. You know, I, I like to fill in every now and then and I like the shop. And it, I found it incredibly hard to say, no, thank you. Because chances are I could get a voiceover. Yeah. Could pay loads and loads and loads of money. And I can't do it because I'm in the shop. And I, yeah. I can't work that way. I've always had the days free in case a voiceover comes in so I work mostly in the evenings doing teaching or comedy and stuff and it's always worked really well around if I have to drop everything at a moment's notice and go into London to do a voiceover it could be a tv advert and it could be thousands and thousands of pounds and you drop everything for that but I don't think you can drop a shop 
no in that way that's particularly <laughs> responsible yeah so what so, so what, I had to say so I had to say no in case something better comes along and because it's not very good money at all now I can afford to now that work has come back and my husband is working again yeah I'd be able to afford to say thank you <laughs> work really hard but I've so yeah. I've never done a sort of I did these jobs as a student I was a waitress I worked in a bank I was a cleaner but I've never had to do those since I've been paying tax yeah I've been very lucky so I've done I've done those jobs but I haven't had to do a job that I might not want to get up and go into every day that's really good graduation yeah it is isn't it so really privileged messy (laughs) life to be in yeah what was the job you said that you got the dream job from graduation what was that one? Oh, um I wanted to I wanted to be an actor yeah since I was four and I first went on the stage and um and I went to university did a drama degree and discovered in the first year I got the main lead role in this massive musical and I was in every scene and I had like seven solos and stuff and discovered I couldn't act I was really shit. I was really shit. (laughs) And um and I was uncomfortable on stage because I I couldn't I couldn't physically relax into being somebody else. I was really dreadful. And um so it was quite a big realization. And then I um I got politics big time at university. And then I I don't know why or how. I'd had a friend who's disabled, but disability politics was a massive interest. I think partly because of my friends, but, um, and it wasn't a particularly, it was still a very mainstream issue. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to do something to initially sort of champion the cause of the disabled actor Mm -hmm. because disabled people didn't get disabled roles. This was the age of sort of Rain Man and everybody, you know, play a disabled character, you get an Oscar. Um, Yeah. um, But God forbid having a disabled uh, actor performing so it was that sort of issue that really got me hot under the collar so I wanted to do something in that world and I was going to go to America and stay with some family friends for a few months to see what was happening in California because they were ahead of us in that thinking yeah and then this job I had my wisdom teeth out and I went into the I went to a hospital took the Monday Guardian in yeah. and looked at the jobs and there was a job which was a disability arts worker Oh my god! Yeah, so Ticks all the boxes. Unbelievable! <laughs> I didn't know it existed. Yeah, and it was an organisation which was very much coming from a political, small p, political stance. So it wasn't art therapy or drama therapy or um, performing to disabled people. It was give, it was basically providing um, arts experience to people who'd been denied access to the arts. Yeah. So people who've been in special schools or people who just hadn't had the same opportunities because of access. Right. And so I had a small fund and I funded projects and we took drama workers and artists and writers and poets and people into these different settings, some of which were disability settings, but other, we even went to prisons, anybody denied access to taking part in the arts. Yeah. Bloody brilliant. Yeah, that and sounds so meaningful. It was as a really well. brilliant organisation, and they had—I um, don't know if they still exist in London. Shape London, they were then. It was this. Mine was Shape East in Essex. Um, the Shape London had a had a scheme where 
um, you could get tickets for theatre and stuff. Um, and if you were disabled, you had um, not just cheaper tickets, but you had a cheap ticket for a carer or, a, or a, a, an assistant. Um, yeah. My mum was disabled then um, with arthritis and she and I used to go to the ballet. Yeah. And I, I'd go for six quid because uh, I'd oh, go wow. with her. Yeah. Which she needed, um, and we'd been like in the front row at Sadler's Wells watching. You know, you could hear the shoes on the on the stage. Yeah, and it was just, yeah, it was a fantastic organisation. And I, and I ended up understanding that my job should be done by a disabled person. Yeah, I knew someone who was a, a, a youth arts worker, and he hit forty, and it's like, yeah, how long should you be in that role? <clears throat> Yeah, you should be older as a youth arts worker because it's about empowering people and so um also circumstances being organizationally structured and I had to reapply for my own job um and at that moment I went on Blue Peter yeah as a guest and, and wanted to do that and then got the opportunity to apply for the BBC job so it's sort of it was a it was a lovely job but it was right not to do it forever because it was um I mean, you can't imagine a, a a black arts worker being white. Yeah. Can you imagine? Um, yeah. And so it, it was it was getting to that stage of I've spent three years with the explicit intent of empowering people. I should empower somebody else to have this job. Not yeah. that I should start quite, but um, it was great. It was a really great organisation, and it was um, managed by disabled people, and it was. It was fab and I had a brilliant boss. Yeah. That sounds great. Imagine. Wow. Ever had. I've never had such a good boss since ever. Yeah. My first one. And I, you know, literally entered the world of work and thought that thought that Hannah just (laughs) who nurtured you. (laughs) It just makes so much of a difference. So like how many, you know, on this podcast, how many people you speak to and they're like big great job it was just the manager and like managers it it's such a a powerful role not just in things that you're doing but in you know everybody's enjoyment of that workplace if you're bad at your job or not even bad at your job just bad at dealing with people you can ruin it so it's really uh, nice especially since I worked in television it seemed to me that the people who got promoted were the so you were good at your job, so you got promoted to management. Yeah. And management was a completely different job. Yes. So very often, so I worked in um, the, the department that I was always in in television was presentation, which is mostly very dry. It's about putting adverts on air, putting trailers on air, putting programmes on air. And I got to be the voice that in the middle of all of that. Yeah. And so the people who were good in that department were really good at, at um detailed admin of getting every second to fit into the schedule to put the things on it you know really really um yeah it would sort of job that would be brilliant for an autistic person it's about detail it's about being deeply into your computer system etc and the people who were good at that got promoted to manage people and they Uh, weren't people people and I saw that so many times um I didn't always have bad bosses sometimes had good ones but never as wonderful as the first one um, yeah but I think that's so often the case that people are good at something so they're promoted to manager yeah that's separate managers should be it's a completely different role 
Yeah, I suppose it's like at comedy nights when people don't realise that being a, a comedian, being a booker, being a promoter <laughs> are all separate jobs and you can be good at one of those or two of those, but it's very rare that you find someone who can do all of those things. Um, yeah. And if if people are like, you know, they, they'll if they don't recognise their weaknesses and team up with other people, then it always just falls apart, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I have known loads of comedy promoters who have really strong views on what... So I'm very often an MC. Yeah. And they have quite strong views on what the MC should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And when I first started coming across that, I used to think, what do you know? You're the promoter, not yeah. the MC. And I learned really early on that they were always bang on yeah because they weren't people who could MC. they weren't people who could get up there and do it themselves but they knew what they wanted and they knew what they wanted their club to be like yeah and I learned that really early on like I mean I'm not somebody who would hope ever get sort of snotty with people but I remember in my head feeling quite snotty going I'm the comedian I'm an MC. I know what I'm doing um and then actually listening thinking no they're quite right it's you know they don't want you to do much crowd work tonight because they know the they know the clients, they know the they know the audience. Yeah. Or they do want you to do lots of crowd work, or they've got a policy where people don't want to be talked to, or whatever it is. It's like these people know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're really good comedy promoters. And they're very comedians. They might want to be. Yeah. But they really, really care about their night. Yeah, and they've been at every single one and nurtured it. Yes. And they know exactly what what is needed there um yeah and yeah they, know, they literally individually know their audience yeah <laughs> and and they're so good at what they do they get the same people back month after month week after week and that's bloody good yeah I couldn't do it I, that's why I can't I was, oh have you ever thought of starting your own night I'm like I could not promote it I cannot promote I did a week in Edinburgh I flyered every single day for an hour before the show and every day I asked have any of you come in because I flyed you? And not once in that week did anybody say yeah. I once flyed a couple who were breaking up, didn't realise until oh. I was halfway through my pitch. Flyed school kids because they go back a bit earlier in Scotland, don't they? And it was the last week yeah. of the fringe. <laughs> I thought it was a man in a suit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was on his way to school. <laughs> oh, oh, that's grim. Yeah. <laughs> It's a hard and job, and I appreciate it's a really people hard do job. it. <laughs> and I and I'm going to be all smug again and say I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's something I'm really good at. I I found this skill, yeah. which is like the worst bit of Edinburgh. Yeah. I, I didn't just find it; I got taught yeah. properly. I got taught really well to do it really well by somebody who was brilliant. I went the first time I went up, I found Callie Beaton oh, and yeah. said can I will you teach me how you're doing this will you teach me how you're doing your fortnight at Edinburgh yeah and she said come and fly for me and she literally I arrived on the first day said here's your t-shirt here are your flyers and this is what you say yeah you say lunchtime comedy and then if people back away then and if they don't then then do that and she said and if anybody she was doing a show with um Catherine Bohart who were doing a split show she said if you see anybody ginger you go up to them and say, you'll really like this show. And you shove the fly <laughs> in their face because it's got these two ginger women in it. <laughs> and it was like, and I did. I ended up going up to all these ginger women going, 
you have got gorgeous hair you're going to love this show <laughs> every and, single yeah, one I, Kim <laughs> it was she had more ginger people when I was bloody <laughs> yeah and it, and it got bumps and seats but she she taught me she literally taught me the words to say and it's, yeah. it was so helpful and then I can't imagine flying for the first time for a show of my own yeah eggy um and so by the time I had took my own show I'd done two years flying for Cali um and I made sure I had a pitch ready I had a specific I had a, a one sentence pitch yeah it it's hard to uh so I, I did a course at Soho Theatre. They do a really good Edinburgh, like, you know, in the months yeah. leading up to Edinburgh. Like, here's this yeah. deadline. Have you done that? Think about this. It, very good. And it was, um, you know, there they were saying, like, have your pitch ready. Because if someone goes, what's your show about? You can't be like, uh, uh, what, um, uh, uh. Yeah. So, and it, it's, it's horrible. Drunk. Yeah. It's horrible talking about yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it's gross and ugh. Um, but, yeah. you know, that people don't care they, they want someone who's confident and if, if you don't seem uh sure that your show is good and you, you're doing it then why in earth would they come yeah and I was the I was the little kid that would walk up to strangers you know yeah. and sort of say hello <laughs> I, I really was that little kid and then I learned that that's not normal in society <laughs> go up and chat to people and etc and so there's a quite a big bit of me as a flyer that just thinks I'm just taking a risk that people will be rude or not want to know. Yeah. I'm just going up to strangers and saying, hello. And, and quite often they, they are rude and walk away, but quite often yeah. they don't. But also I, I pick them carefully. I don't just fly everybody. Yeah. I, I, you know, so it's, I fly people my age who aren't getting flyered. Yeah. Nobody flies the older people and they are happy to be flyered. And they're happy that there's a show in Edinburgh that's, for them as well so I would go up and say you know I can't remember what the pitches were but oh the first one was so I was doing my stuff about menopause and um I was doing a show with Rebecca Howe yeah. the show was called Better and it was so we had the whole pitch was is it better to be young free and single mm -hmm. in your 30s or married and middle-aged in your 50s and so we had so I would go up to people would go up to groups of women and say right I've got a question for you which is better and and I got loads of material out of it as well because they come out they're both shite <laughs> and I loved it I was like you're absolutely right yeah um, and, and so we had a pitch but it also got conversation going and it was especially a group of drunk people or a group of just a group of women out together yeah and the second time it was um we were two it's a different show with Jenny Laville we're two we're two parents um, who can't wait for our kids to leave home so they can't wait for our kids to fuck off and leave home so that we can get on with our lives. <laughs> and that was really fun because you, you say that to people in their 40s and 50s and they're like, oh, you said it. <laughs> and it was really uh. funny. Um, and, and, and also we'd go up to people, we'd go up to people at lunchtime who were having lunch with their student kids to get people like in their 60s yeah and, and so you get this couple and then somebody who's about 19 with them in their 50s or 60s and go up and say that and they'd be like yes this is my kid can't wait for them to fuck off and leave her. and then they'd all come to the show together yeah it was, that was it was lovely so you, I think if you have a I think, if, I think if you take joy in your work yeah then that can be quite infectious 
it's a nice thing to see isn't it somebody enjoying their job yeah I really like like other people as well going this comedian is amazing yeah being able to say that about my friends and stuff is which you can't say about yourself no it'll be much harder now solo show yeah Yeah. (laughs) that will be harder because it's I'm selling only me yeah and with Jenny I used to just go up and say oh, she writes for the BBC now, she's amazing. She's got the sitcom on Radio 4 at the moment. And people go, ooh, sitcom on Radio 4. Yeah. Um, so I could plug her like crazy. Yeah, um, I've heard of the BBC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, I, but if I'm in my 50s and I'm at the Edinburgh Festival, I listen to Radio 4 comedy. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty safe pitch. They'd heard her name. Yeah. It was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had a masterclass in How to Flyer. Uh, ready for yeah. <laughs> whether the fringe happens this year or not um oh, yeah. I don't think anybody wants it to um apart from uh I don't know I imagine the city of Edinburgh which is hemorrhaging money every August well um, yeah but the people of Edinburgh maybe not so much no a difficult one yeah I saw a great tweet that said um this said something like comedians well I don't think Edinburgh should be happening and I don't think I should be going anything uh, comedians three days later oh they're doing the awards maybe I will go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is this little bit of there won't be as many acts there so it's, only, yeah. it's up for anyone <laughs> and that's just horrible. I get to risk my life I get to risk yeah. my life and get to a small room with 25 people stuffed in <laughs> to get the barrier I get some recognition as a comedian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh God bless Jordan Brooks, who's managed to be the reigning king for two years now. He is. I'm the only person that's ever done it. Yeah, he will be a pub quiz answer, won't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad. It was a very good show. Um, so, I mean, we've managed to get about 40 minutes in. What's, what? your, what's your worst job you've ever done? <laughs> oh, um, <clears throat> student job. I did three years as a cleaner at a hospital. Right. Every holiday. And that yeah. was not my worst job. Even wow. though I saw someone die. Oh my literally God. lying under a bed, cleaning the underside of a bed, which was yeah. everything you can imagine that was on that. Yeah. And I saw somebody die in the opposite bed. And that was not my worst job. My worst oh, job, boy. which I thought would be better than, but the, the thing about the cleaning was it was incredibly well paid if you were a student. Right. And you got cash and it was so old it was such a long time ago, you got cash in an envelope at the end of the yeah. week. And because you weren't taxed. I was yeah. taking home a hundred quid. Yeah. This is this is the early eighties. Yeah. I was taking a hundred quid in my hand, which is incredible. Yeah. But then I got a summer job working in a bank. Right. Oh, um you had to wear I had to wear a skirt and heels every day which was awful and I spent 12 weeks bouncing checks yeah job was literally to do the paperwork to bounce checks and then the rest of the year I was having checks bounced yeah I'd be living in all this student debt um and my grants in those days I just to say I did march against student loans um um yeah, so I had, I remember my grant was £2,400 for the year. Yeah. So you had to supplement that in the summer. Um, <clears throat> and so all year I would, I would not live within my means and I would have my checks bounced. And you've got, um, even now, it's such a big fine. 
So you, a check would come in, and if there wasn't credit in the account to pay it, <clears throat> you bounced it back, and then you charged the customer £25. <laughs> That's a lot for someone. This would have been about 1986. £25 yeah. is a huge amount. Even now, yeah, a hell of a lot of money to be to be fined because you don't have money. Yeah, like and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. And there were two ways of bouncing. You could either send it back, <clears throat> you send it back to the person they wrote the check to, mm-hmm. and either that was it, you sent it back and then you charged them 25, or you did what was called RDPR, refer to drawer, please represent. And that's what bouncing means. It would mean you you send it back again. Because by the time you send it back again, they might have been paid and they might have the money in their account. Right. But if they still don't have the money in their account and it's bounced back a second time, you charge them £25 again. Wow. And you might tell the drawer to try again. Yeah. Like a third week. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just, and I, I knew how completely immoral it was. And it was so horrible. And I hadn't worked. I don't, I'd worked in a hospital. I hadn't worked anywhere that was a money-making institution. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of a bank as a money-making institution it was where you put your money and got your money out I, di- I didn't realize it was there to make a profit if you see what I mean I hadn't got yeah. my head around that and I remember saying to somebody in the office I've bounced this check twice and I'm supposed to bounce it a third time and it was 67 pound check to Sainsbury's wow. I remember thinking this is somebody's food shopping and if they've got children yeah Will be seven, this is a sixty-seven pound check, and I will be charging them seventy pounds, seventy-five pounds in fines if I if I bounce it again. That's why I'm crying about it, and just it was just a horrible, horrible position to be in. I yeah. hated it, and the manager sexually harassed me. Oh <laughs> no! Every single day, would walk in, throw his arms around me, and say, "Here's my cuddly Pauline." Uh, uh, and it was creepy and horrible. That's disgusting. And in those situations where, a, he's the manager. And yeah. B, he's being complimentary. It's not a compliment. It's not a compliment to go up to a fat person and say, you're cuddly. Fuck off. Um, yeah. So I was, I was so miserable, so miserable. And eventually I, um, I followed him through the big office, right into his office and slammed the door and screamed at him and said, you're never doing that to me again. Don't do that to anybody else. I was really angry. Um, yeah. And I got the best reference off him. <laughs> on you for doing that though and actually like pulling him up on it because it, it's difficult like I don't think that men fully appreciate they're just like well just tell him to stop it just punch him just tell him get off you yeah but like how you know how how really you can't yeah. do that like he's your manager so yeah. you know good on you for and he would have just said that. just a bit of fun yeah and you didn't have even have the vocab I think we're starting to get the vocabulary on that yeah it's not fun for me yeah but it was it was horrible I don't know exactly why he did it because I've got enormous boobs and he was pushing himself against them and it it was and on this sort of ha 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 I'm giving you a cuddle in the morning like you don't give somebody a cuddle at work that's just no if they were your friend oh he was horrible (laughs) it was really yeah yeah. so that was my worst ever job yeah, that sounds terrible. I suppose the difference sort of with the hospital, at least you are like you can see that you're helping people there um, in a in a capacity. <laughs> um, when you were when you were in some of them, when you were when you were making tea and things and you'd actually make tea for patients, that was quite nice. Yeah. But mostly it was 
no mostly it was an industrial hoover and mopping <laughs> mopped in those days yeah um and and there were cockroaches <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Cockroaches went up the Hoover. So it was like one. It was like a Henry Hoover, but with a metal, yeah. a metal Hoover. And it, the cockroaches went up. They go. Got <laughs> <laughs> another one. <laughs> yeah, and the other one was and my sister and my brother did it as well because we were all students. And um, and as there were days when we were all on the same ward together. So one of you yeah. would be mopping and one of you would be hoovering, and that was quite a laugh. And then my sister and I used to just piss ourselves laughing because if you threw cotton wool balls on the floor yeah. and then picked them up with the hoover the hoover would go bah, 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 <laughs> and, and we would cry laughing and then pick up some cockroaches and go and it was just ridiculous it was ridiculous it was it prefabs from the wall yeah boards were and they would look at that I just can't imagine I can't believe there wasn't a pandemic of massive infections yeah dreadful so which um, hospital was that it was barnet general which oh. is now has now been rebuilt and is much cleaner yes um, but yeah. my god whenever i'm there and there are domestics there i'm like oh, i was domestic <laughs> I, um... thank you very much for your work <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not an easy job is it uh, i know horrible i um I worked in a department at a hospital, which there's a picture on the wall from when it was uh, the 1960s, 1970s, when it opened. And it was a caravan in the car park, like an actual caravan. Uh, that was the, the entire bleeding disorders unit. Was it yeah. like, you know, like not a nice car, not a static. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. And it, it's wild to think that, you know, that's what um, you, you're dealing with then yeah and but they, they've still got the equivalent now did you go for an yeah. mri oh my god yeah in the car park did a weekend in a fucking caravan in the car park yeah. or um the breast clinic my local breast clinic you go for them it's like <laughs> this is a caravan you have to like, get in steps to get, in. <laughs> get into this <laughs> lorry this. yeah somebody's driven this here on a trailer and left it here for the weekend yeah it's, it's a, really weird it is although i imagine they are maybe a little bit plusher um yeah, I suppose they are not much I went margin. for an MRI once yeah I went for an MRI and they were like um there's a tiny so it's three room trailer and the main room has got all the machinery in it that the, and there were two men who were doing who were the operators of it all and then there was one room that was the MRI thing and then there was a changing room so I had to go yeah. into the changing room take all my clothes off and put a gown on yeah. put any metal at all that I had so rings earrings everything phone everything into the locker but you can't take you can't take anything metal into the MRI room so I then had to lock the door give these two men the key I don't know what the bloody point of that is then and then and be naked apart from my gown walk past them into the MRI room and then have this horrible MRI and I remember just thinking I could be murdered here yeah I'm, I'm naked in front, and there are two men, and it's just the three of us in this closed capsule. Yeah. Horrible. It's they were absolutely crazy. fine. They were perfectly lovely. The MRI yeah. was clear. <laughs> Wonderful. That was good to know. <laughs> that was going to be the <laughs> next question. Fine, it was scary. Yeah. Why I had that. I know I had um, a scan, a similar scan, and you know how they give you like the front 
one with the the gap in the back yes and then they give you like a gown to put over to sort of hide the gap in the back I did not realize and just put them both on the front and then because I have glasses and like my eyesight is so bad so I was just walking around with my ass hanging out and I couldn't see anything (laughs) like give us your glasses now we're gonna fill out this form and I'm like we're fucking not because (laughs) I'll be honest with you (laughs) you should my, my glasses are in a locker two corridors away I I'm never getting back to them also can you let me please turn this gown around (laughs) (laughs) I had a a mistake (laughs) I had an antenatal client who was um and his partner was was having a cesarean and it was all in a big hurry yeah and they handed him a set of scrubs and they said take your clothes off put these scrubs on and he took his clothes off and picked up the scrubs and he'd been given two tops (laughs) We had to put his trousers back on and go outside and go, I'm really sorry. And they were like, why haven't you got tops? <laughs> <laughs> I always say to them now, check first. If somebody just yeah. hands you a set of scrubs, make sure you've got top and bottom. <laughs> this poor I, guy. Oh, I thought that story was going to go that he wore the, the top as a bottom. Top as bottom. <laughs> yeah. Style it up. Put my belt on. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> I always have also have to tell them to if they are in that situation that there's a seat if there's a if there's a cesarean the partner mm. has a seat at the woman's shoulder at her head right. and uh, they need to stay sitting in the seat because I had one guy who because he was nervous he kept pacing yeah. and get, getting up and walking and they kept saying really gently to him you need to sit down because you can't go near the field of surgery it's like it's yeah. kind of clean in there and um and eventually they had to shout at him and go you need to sit down and stay sitting down <laughs> Because he was wandering around the room. He didn't even know he was doing it. He was so nervous. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sit down or fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be here? Or should I send you outside? <laughs> Do as you talk. To the wall. <laughs> oh, poor thing. <laughs> yeah, I love my clients. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like uh, that is quite a fulfilling job to be doing. Yeah, it's, a, it's a wonderful job. Yeah, it's... um it's quite depressing because the state of the service especially under lockdown and everything but it is um and and um, it's sort of that stage of my life as well sort of mothering the mothers yeah so people who are going through this massive change in their life yeah have to prepare for it and it's um it's, it's a privilege it's a lovely lovely job I really yeah love it. And I, only took, I only started doing it about 10 years ago I just went back to university in my 40s and retrained yeah Actually, yeah. what, what was because the my mum said? Yeah, I was just say my mum said you can't be an aerobics instructor forever. Yeah, you don't hold back aerobics instructors. It's like, well, actually, apparently you do. <laughs> um, but she was quite right. It was um, you need to find something else, and that was before I discovered comedy. Yeah, but Aww. again, I'm the one at the front. Yeah, with everybody looking, and and you know my 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 comedy material when I'm teaching is pretty hat down honed. Yes. It does help. Oh, it massively helps. Because you're talking about stuff that's so, it's a, it can be quite a dry subject. Yeah. Um, but there's so much humour in it and there's so much joy in it as well. Yeah, and it's scary. And if someone can just make you laugh or make you smile a bit, then it's yeah. just. And also it, it um, it's about the right hormones for birth. And, yeah, um, the hormones that you need for birth are the same ones that you need for laughing and 
relaxing and all that sort of thing. So, oh, really? It increases your oxytocin when you laugh. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and oxytocin makes the uterus contract. Ah. Oh. So you go. laugh your way through the contractions. Is yeah. That well, the... no, people do. People do that, and they dance. Yeah. And they and that's what all the breathing and relaxation stuff is about. You need all the same. Um, you need all the same um, hormones for birth that you need for sex. Right. So if you're relaxed and calm, obviously it's the same with the reproductive system. So if you're relaxed and calm, etc. I mean, you shouldn't laugh too much during sex. It depends on the context, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he didn't like it when I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this bit's not appropriate to laugh at, Pauline. Sorry. <laughs> Just get me off to those or not. <laughs> um <laughs> but it's um yeah so if it can be imagine people having a relationship with birth where where it could be there where there could be joy in it yeah and that's what you're that's one of the things I'm trying to impart and it's really difficult to get that right with the balance between that and yes but it hurts and yes but I'm frightened and things could go wrong etc and it's trying to get that balance right but actually, you have a good relationship and understand what's happening inside the body. You could be celebrating the end of every contraction, going, "This is I'm one step closer. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey, which is hard. And when I get to the end of it, I'm going to have my baby." Yeah. And so, if you can find joy in that, or they can remember something funny from the course, yeah. And, and people say it makes a difference. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And also, isn't it strange that it's not a th- it's a thing that will happen to most people, and yet it's not a thing, you know, like uh, that you learn at school. Or I mean, I suppose it's like well, we don't want to scare them, but it, what's more scary is having no idea. Yeah, they're being. But actually, nothing. they do, and they do scare people at school. So you get yeah. people on courses, and their only experience of birth is through watching on telly, yeah. where it's dramatized. Yeah, or made funny, um, but usually dramatized and made to be frightening. Yeah, or they watch that sex education video at school about birth. Yeah, and the point of that video is is don't have sex or this might happen. Yeah, so they you have people genuinely quite traumatized because all their life the only time they've seen birth is someone on EastEnders you know goes into labor didn't know she was pregnant. Yeah, practically dies, etc. Um, it's yeah it's seen as as something really really awful that people have to go through and yeah. it shouldn't have to be no because it, it's it's this moment that's going to change your life so much yeah it should be it's a rite of passage which is really huge yeah but I think it's that's yeah, yeah it's a brilliant but, world to work in yeah well I think that what a lovely note to end on I think that's our time um but have Excellent. you got anything that you'd like to plug and are you touring your show oh. Sorry? Are you touring your show? Not this year. I was going to tour it last year. Right. Um, so I have a show called All Change. It will be, it will be. Um, and it's doing a few a few festivals um, between now and the end of the year. And so it's around. Um, and I've just started a podcast um, uh, called, well, which Catherine was a guest on, um, yeah. which is called Early Doors, but um, may well be changing its name. Uh, that hasn't been confirmed yet. But um, if you, if you, Find me on, uh, well, I'm on all the socials at Yes Pauline Air, Y R E. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, all of those. But if you can find the podcast and the show, the show is about love and loss and menopause. 
yeah it's great I really enjoyed it um I thought yeah I uh zoom zoom watched it and uh yeah it's really uh I thought it was really well done really um sort of well paced and yeah just just a beautiful show it was really really nice thank you it's it's yeah it's evolved beautifully thanks to fate but I had to rewrite it last year um but it's um yeah it means a lot to me so I'm really chuffed that I still get the chance to do it when I can and yeah. I, it'll do and it'll last forever like menopause seems to last <laughs> um it'll still be you know it's not it's not a topical thing it'll be just as it's just as important to me I think next year and 2023 and wherever so it can yeah you don't have to follow the rules comedy you have to do no. one show a year you just do yeah. what you want to do yeah so, if you've worked hard on it keep doing yeah. it yeah I mean it's five six years worth of, of yeah. comedy so yeah. yeah, how do people write a second show? I don't know, know. it's mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Lovely chat. Okay, bye. Always.